You're listening to Save Yourself, conversations, ideas, and strategic thinking with the four founders of Unlimited Wealth. Join us for discussions, debates, and strategies that have brought them and their clients financial freedom, and how you too can break free from traditional boundaries to unlimit your wealth. Welcome everybody to Save Yourself Podcast, brought to you by Unlimited Wealth. What's up guys? I've got Brad Lowe here, Mike Schwally. Hey John. Hey Big John. All right. Let's do this. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to go through some some myths, some common questions, some objections, or just good questions that people have that are we hear a lot, and it'd just be good to come at them from different different angles from y'all's perspective. Let's do it. That's great. So, why is it difficult to really view life insurance cash value as true savings? Mike and I were together. We we talked about this actually with a future CEO of one of the large life insurance companies here in the United States, we had this conversation with him yesterday. He was asking us, uh, actually, what, what what is difficult about communicating this to our clients, one of the most difficult things. And w- we understand that it's difficult because I had the same, it was hard for that light bulb to go off in my mind. You know, I did my first policy in 2010, and it was 2015 before I did number two. And I did, I've done four more since then. But it was difficult because of I couldn't I, I viewed it as an expense, so I right. viewed it as money like going away instead of money that was completely in my control that I was excited about. And so when that light bulb went off, it really changed the game for me because it is true savings that we can leverage against. the The only difference is maybe forty eight hours in lag time versus your savings account at the bank. Right. Yeah. Uh, Liquidity works the same way. We get a lot more benefits, but it's just difficult because it's easy to view it as an expense. Nobody wants an expense. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't most all the other life and all the other insurance products that we need and pay for? I mean, you're paying for something that you don't want to have happen. And I know for me that just the word insurance means expense to be minimized. And that is a that's yeah it's a, that's a hard light bulb sometimes to go off. Mike, what do you? Yeah, that's what we're built to think, and that's what we're built to talk. And every every time you hear the word insurance, that's what you're going to think of immediately. For me, it was more the forced savings in in a way. It's a it's a plan that you put in place that is going to obligate you to save money, and that takes some understanding and some discipline. And and for me, like Brad, I, I started my first policy around 2013. And um, when I did, it it took a little while for me to get used to, hey, I'm putting money in this thing every single month, or um, and then I'm dropping in extra money throughout the year when I had I had a little windfall, and but then it it the light bulb went off, and I, I realized, hey, this is just another place to park money, and in the meantime, and then when, when an opportunity or a, an expense did come up, I could I could leverage it and, and use the money from that policy, and and then I realized I had a a need for capital a lot more than I need for insurance. And hopefully that's the objection that we're, we, we get across to our clients. So, Yeah, it's not easy. Here's another common one or for people that if maybe they've listened to pieces here and there or watched pieces of a video that we have, what about the people that might have missed the very important idea that it's, it's not the end point. Basically someone's like, well, like why it feels like all my eggs are in this basket, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, will you, you guys talk about that a little bit about how it's not the end, the end point. 
it's really a foundation a beginning in for most cases for me it was um for a lot of my clients it's where do we get started we have to build a good foundation of savings first and we've talked about on other episodes that opportunities and investments flow from excess savings so if we have built up savings and an opportunity comes along we have the capital the dry powder and we're going to take advantage of those opportunities but you know a lot of times too we are creating hopefully a large pool of capital that we can that we can deal with so immediately the mind if we're putting a large amount of or, you know it's got a few zeros behind that number they're going to think well this is an investment i'm putting money into an investment this is going to be my end all be all it's going to be there for the for the long run so they may focus on this and focus on this, but the reality is this is just the warehouse in which we're storing our capital. The investments, they're going to flow later, hopefully producing income streams uh, or excess retirement accounts or whatever it may be. Um, so, no, we, do, we don't look at it as a, the one one shoe. This is going to fill, fill all your needs and answer all your questions but or, or reach all those goals. This is just going to be that warehouse that we're going to flow money from, but – yeah, I mean, John, this ties back to the first first question you asked, why is it difficult to view cash value in life insurance as savings? You just ask, you know, what what if somebody says, well, I don't want all my eggs in one basket, or, you know, why would I put all this money in, in whole life insurance? When we think about that, though, do you feel like all your eggs are in one basket when you're saving money in your savings account at the bank down the street? No. Right? Because you know that it's not going to live there forever. That's just the holding place. You know, we're waiting for an opportunity or, you know, like Mike even said, an expense that could come up. We need access to liquidity, either to handle things that are unforeseen or to take advantage of opportunities. Whole life's no different. And so we don't view it as the end place. Now, there may be long periods of time, especially later uh, in someone's life where they do choose to leave it there or let it provide, you know, a tax advantage stream of income for them, you know, whatever that might be. But when people are younger in their earning and accumulating years, right, we view it just like a savings account. It's not going there. It doesn't go there first because that's where it's going to stay forever. It goes there first because we're just waiting for the next opportunity. Yeah. We're taught to departmentalize our money and put it into different buckets. This is just one of those buckets. And uh, we feel it's the most efficient bucket that you're going to flow as many of your expenses, opportunities, everything through this bucket if we can. We just want to capture that growth. Yeah. Thank you. Here's a good question. Why would I borrow my own money? Well, my off-the-cuff response is that you wouldn't. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that is something that you hear out there. When talking heads are trying to shoot down infinite banking, that, that's one of the things they'll say. That's a ridiculous idea to say that you're going to borrow your own money. I don't totally disagree with, with that statement because when we access capital from an insurance company, we're accessing their capital, not ours. Our capital just happens to be the the security for that, the collateral for that loan. So we're not borrowing our own. We're borrowing theirs because we want ours to continue to compound and earn and grow and perform just like it will whether we use it or whether we don't. And over the last decade, we've been taught and and conditioned to – we haven't really earned anything where we park our money. If we parked it at a bank, we're we're not earning anything. And so there was really no – cost to use capital uh, it, it felt like there was no cost but if you did if you earned some interest on that money to park you had to make a decision every time you took money out of that account and if 
if we feel like we're borrowing against our dollar, we're really not. We're using the insurance company's money, right? And so when we leave our capital alone to continue to compound and earn interest in tax advantage ways, we, we are going to then leverage our capital and we're going to use the insurance money. We're going to use OPM to then go take those investments and take those risks outside and uh, hopefully grow our wealth that way. Let me let me let me maybe put a more real life tangible example to this. Yeah, I think it would be. Uh, I've used this example a lot. It seems to resonate resonates with me. You know, I'm just a dumb guy from Alabama, so maybe it'll resonate with with other people. Oh man! Uh, oh, man. <laughs> um, thank you guys. I love y'all. Uh, the the uh, but so think about it like your home because we we do have the option to withdraw money from our account at the insurance company. It's our money. Right. That's one of our options. We can withdraw. Correct. Right. It leaves the account. And the value of our account drops. The value of our asset drops when we do that. We can also borrow against and leverage against it. The value of our account continues to appreciate, and we just use the insurance company's money with our account as collateral. Well, think about it like an equity line of credit, home equity line of credit. If the bank gave you the option, instead of getting a line of credit, you go to your banker to get a line of credit. Hey, my house is worth half a million dollars. It's paid for. I want a, I want a $200,000 line of credit. Banker says, sure, I can do that for you. I'll loan against that asset. Your asset would continue to appreciate. Your home value is going to go up. He said, or I can just give you $200,000 right now and not loan it to you, but I'm going to need to reduce the value of your home by $200,000. Would you ever do that deal with a banker? Absolutely not. Right? And so that's why we borrow against instead of reducing the value of our contract with the life insurance company. No different. Very nice. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. How does a policy loan actually work? Like just the, you know, it's pretty, pretty simple process, but just for people wanting to know, like, how does it actually work? So for us, it's a pretty easy process. Somebody can reach out to anyone in our office, our staff. We've got a whole team around us that you can send a text, phone call, email, and in a matter of two to three, sometimes four business days, that money is going to be sent to your account that we have on file. So Real easy. You, you have cash value in your policy. You can leverage against up to that amount, whatever that amount is, and you need a certain dollar figure. You tell us what you need, and it's going to hit your account. So if I'm a client of you guys and I know I have access to you know, $100,000 on my line of credit, reach out to somebody on your team, how much does that cost? Yeah, for, well, that's, a, yeah that's, a, that's a good question, and that is one of the things that separates us, we feel like, from a lot of other people. We, we want to be involved through that whole process. So someone on our team, uh, us or one of our admins, is going to take that phone call, take that request from the client, and we're going to make sure that gets processed accordingly with the insurance company. Our clients are not calling the 800 number at pick the insurance company to try to get money moved. We, we, we handle that on their behalf, right? So it, you know everybody, one thing you can't get back is time. People's time is valuable. So we try to give back as much time as we can to our clients and take on that responsibility on our end. And it's, you know, there's a misnomer out there that it, it can't, it's like an application, like a loan application. Not true. It's contractually, the insurance company has to give you the money. Most of the carriers we work with will send a loan, will process a loan up to $25,000 without even a signature. If it's over $25,000, we got to have a signature. But it's not an application. It's an identity verification signature. One signature, and that's that. And money shows up electronically three to five business days, generally. So there's no cost? No cost. Other than the loan interest that we pay to the insurance company. Sure. 
But no, there's not a transaction fee. There's no minimum or maximum amount of transactions. Everything's everything's as as you need it, just like your savings account. Yeah, and and you guys are we are doing verbal confirmations upon any kind of request to just make sure it's it's yeah. going to the right and place. I've, and I've had that question a few times. I've, I've already got a loan outstanding. Can I take another one? Well, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh. Nice. So here's one. How how is my policy or the unique design that we implement? How is it tax advantaged? So, to use the correct terminology for that, John, it would say that your cash values grow tax deferred. Right? Okay. Uh, if we were to withdraw money, we could withdraw our cost basis, which would be our contributions, mm-hmm. no taxes. If we were to get to the point where we withdrew gain, then that would be a taxable event. But structured properly, we generally are going to be taking loans for everything we do. So if you go borrow a million dollars to buy a second home right now, do you have to declare a million dollars of income on your tax return? No. no. Right. It's a loan. Right. And so this works the same way. Any loan for any amount, regardless of your other income, is not a taxable event. Here's one. What if, like, later on, I have a million dollars of cash value and 2.5 of death benefit, and I'm in my 80s? Mm-hmm. And so, and I put, I don't know, half a million dollars in it. I'm just making up some numbers here. Yeah. Well, so I'm 85. I'm not doing the whole, you know, passive tax free retirement income stream via loans the way you talked about Mm -hmm. Um, but I just want to go do the bucket list movie and Mm -hmm. so I go ahead and get all million as a loan and then I do the bucket list and the last of one on my list got me and I'm I'm deceased (laughs) but it was a great way to go you jumped out of that plane what would happen then well so let's use the equity line example again okay let's say you said 2.5 million of death benefit a million dollars of cash value right so let's say you had a home worth 2.5 million Mm-hmm. And you went and got a line of credit for a million dollars against it, mm-hmm. and you sold that home. In other words, you cashed in the asset. Yeah, right. Would you get a check for two point five million at closing or one point five million? The lesser, right? One point five million, right? They'd net out the loan, the bank would, and, and write you the the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Insurance company's going to do it the same way. Got a two and a half million dollar asset. The value of the asset is the death benefit, like the home but you've leveraged a million dollars against it via the cash value. If you die, in other words, the contract's fulfilled, you sell the asset, asset turns over, they're going to net it out, give your beneficiaries the, the 1.5. That's right. Any interest that accrued during your bu- bucket list in your example would, would also be paid off by that death benefit. So your beneficiary is not going to have a, a cost waiting for them at the end. Very nice. Let's talk about direct versus non-direct recognition. As a conversation that comes up, <clears throat> excuse me, I had this conversation about direct versus non-direct today, this morning, that was interesting. Mike, would you kind of give us your approach to how you unpack that one? Ooh, I'm glad you asked mine. Boy, I was, I was about to point to Brad. I'll take that. a stab at it. <laughs> we can turn that one back on you. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not great at that direct, non-direct. I'll, that's I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll, yeah. I'll give it a shot, too. Go ahead, John. Why don't you answer this one? You just had the conversation this morning. Yes. Yeah, tell us your... So in the past, with a lot of companies, mutual companies, the choice was either as a company with their whole, whole life portfolio was either, hey, we are a direct recognition company 
that has a fixed cap for life loan rate, let's call it 4% with the, with the current contracts. So in years, I, take a, I have a fixed loan rate. I have a loan out. The dividend is going to get a haircut. Mm-hmm. And different companies have different levels of, of, what, of, of what kind of haircut you get. And then like what ranges have you heard? I have heard ranges of the dividend being cut by as much as 70 or 80% of the declared rate. And I've heard examples where it's only cut by 20. Yeah, 20 or 10%. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. it was closer to like the 20, 20 and then 25. later in contract years, it actually reduces. That's right. Post certain, it just depends. So basically, it's like fixed. That's great loan rate. You, you've got a haircut on your, on your dividend or, hey, we are a non-direct company or we have a non-direct contract. If you have a loan out, it's a variable loan rate based probably on a, a bond index. And, you know, hooray, you get your full dividend. But, you know, it, right now, those, those variable loan rates are pretty high. Yeah, maybe, maybe 8%, maybe as high as 8%. Yes. And so the cool thing now, at least with one of the main companies we use, is inside the same contract, you, you can choose. You can say, hey, um, you know, the way we are right now in interest rates, I want a fixed, intentional fixed 4%. And I don't care that my dividend's getting a little haircut. Or you say, you know, I'm willing to take a variable rate because right this year I have a really high dividend. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to mess with that. And you can flip back and forth from policy loan anniversary to policy loan anniversary. Getting in the weeds is a big deal to have, have that flexibility because in early years, dividends aren't that big, which would help you make a decision in later years when they're huge something to pay attention to so john that that sounds super complicated it is if if a client has that question i mean is that something that you're going to help them walk through do the math or are they going to have to like understand that on their own and no. figure it out no that's a that's an easy one just like anybody asking us hey i'm buying this vehicle or this piece of equipment where we just look at it and say well maybe it could, you could go to traditional bank money might want to borrow against your insurance, you know, against your insurance. And what, you know, what, what do you have available? And so it's not always, you know, it's just another option. Yeah, there's coaching involved. And, and as you just pointed out, you know, with an illustration, which we've all seen thousands of them, in the early years of a policy, the dividends tend to be a little bit lower. So we're probably going to choose that direct recognition and have access to a, a fixed line of credit versus later in the years when dividends are up. Well, we're going to have to make that decision. And, and choose what's best for our clients. Nice to have both. Yeah, it's great Especially to have the options. In, in higher interest rate environment to be saying, hey, I have access to really cheap, affordable money. It's great. Mm-hmm. And in plus earning rates are higher than you know where we came from, which is super low rates. You know, that would be a variable loan choice because you're like, you know, they're crazy low. It's the same rate and I'm going to get my full dividend. So it'll be fun to see the progression of that and and big dividends are fun too yeah yeah cool this is comes from like real business owners real estate people people that are operating one or multiple businesses with lines of credit maybe mm-hmm. a seasonal business where they actually have to zero out the line of credit mm-hmm. with the traditional mm-hmm. uh, institutions so i know some that have to do it january and july mm-hmm. and it's a big swing when they when people sit there and think, man, I've got to save all this money into into this uh, uniquely structured policy that they're building for me, but meanwhile I have huge lines of credit over here. Like, is it possible for me to overtake that traditional line of credit with this system? 
like how realistic is it i'm you know someone's saying i'm 50 55 like come on how yeah. if i really wanted to do it like you know have you how many people have you seen do that and at what levels might be a better question yeah, i mean i think it's definitely it's definitely possible right um but also somebody that whether it's a line of credit or just debt in general, they say, hey, I've got a million dollars of debt and I have $50,000 a year of cash flow that's over and above. Well, it's going to take a long time to get rid of that million dollars of debt. All right? Somebody else might be using a million-dollar line of credit just because they want to do other things with their cash or other things with their capital, even though they could, say, fund the line of credit themselves. Or maybe they, they don't have to have it. They just use it so they can do other things with their cash. Certainly, we can overtake that. But, you know, there's always three choices with your money, right? If the bank's willing to give you a line of credit, we would maybe establish that. I think it's a great idea to have a, a line of credit established, even if you don't intend on using it, right? And also establish one with the insurance company. Because the insurance company, we the rule they make is – We'll loan you up to 97.5% of the capital you have here using your capital as an asset. And then we're going to charge you, depending on the carrier. Right now, it's pretty common, 4% of a loan rate, right? So if if we know we have those rules and we can cash flow that, however our business cash flow or our real estate investments allow us to cash flow, we got a lot more control on that side. Somebody with a line of credit outstanding right now, probably not super happy about the rate they're paying for that money if the bank's in control of that line of credit. And they at least, at a minimum, have to make an interest payment every month. And those payments have exorbitantly gone up in the last 24 months. More than doubled. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, that that might be a scenario. Actually working with a business owner right now um, in South Alabama, he has a, a million six loan, bought a business, great business. Uh, million six is a, is a, was a reasonable number to pay for it. But he got a variable interest rate loan two years ago for it, and he's now paying ten and a half percent interest on a million six of the loan. He's very motivated to move ten and a half percent interest on a million six over to four percent interest on a million six. So we're going to take it down pretty quick because he's super motivated. So that that that's just kind of a real world example of of, of where it might could happen. Yeah, and that's a great example of dollars and cents. For me, it's a, a little bit more conceptual. You know the it's a customer versus an owner mindset of it. The control Brad touched on it a couple of times when he was giving that example is the control who's in control of that line of credit at the bank versus the line of credit with the insurance company is. And that's a big deal with a few of my clients that we've done that for is, you know, we can, we can pause that payback schedule in the policy loan versus the bank's going to want you to pay that minimum interest every single month. They're, they're going to have a cost of, Every single month, depending on where rates go, and and the who knows, you know, the banks do change their mind from time to time. Rates go up, different things happens. But inside the life insurance contract, we do have a fixed amount that we know we control. We control the cash flow. Murphy shows up, life throws a curveball. We can turn that dollar figure off, or if we can uh, a windfall of some sort, we can overpay and get that knocked out quicker. So we do see it quite a bit, and and I, I believe. To answer your question, yes, we we can can do that and do it more efficiently at our control. Very good. You've been listening to Save Yourself, conversations, ideas, and strategic thinking with the four founders of Unlimit Wealth. 
To learn more about Unlimit Wealth or to make a personal appointment, visit us online at unlimitwealth.com. <laughs>